Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great website that gives you history the way it was intended to be told? With no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. Well, I've got it for you. It's LearnTrueHistory.com. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. Learn history from great professors who don't sugarcoat it for you. This is not for your delicate flowers. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. LearnTrueHistory.com. Com. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 81. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be back on the program. It's been a little while, and I intended to uh, have a podcast earlier this week, but I've been very busy and hadn't have a time to do it. So I'm back with you today, hopefully back on a regular schedule, but we'll see how things shake out for the next few weeks. Okay, before I get started today, I just want to remind everyone that if you do like this podcast, please share it around with your friends on social media. Uh, maybe send it to them in an email or share it as a post on your Facebook or Twitter account. You can follow me on Facebook. Just go out there and uh, find me. Just search for Brian McClanahan. It's, uh, that's how you find my Facebook fan page. You can like me there. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. You can also like my YouTube page. And, of course, if you go to my homepage, you can sign up for my free uh, ebook, Forgotten Founders. Also, it's an audio book. And if you do that, you're going to get my emails. And so uh, you can join the hundreds and hundreds of people who have already signed up to do that. Join the cool crowd and get on my email list. It's free, it's painless, and you get a free gift. And of course, that's how I'm going to communicate with you about the promotions that I'll be doing for my forthcoming book, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America. So that will come out in September, probably by the middle of June, somewhere in there. I'll be doing uh, some promotions with that. So you want to look for those. You can get a score a good deal if you just pre-order the book, and I've got a couple of things for that. So be looking for that in the next few weeks. Um, I will be out there promoting that as well, probably be back on the Tom Woods Show to talk about that. And the next podcast I do, not this one, but the next one, I'm going to allude to a part of the book that I think is a pretty interesting chapter because I've had a user-generated request to talk about Donald Trump and the Russia situation. And the request was, can you talk about any other time in American history where a president or an administration has had some type of supposed foreign influence or some type of, of uh, controversy about that in, in the cabinet. And not to talk about Richard Nixon or if there's a situation of cover-up or something like that. So I'm actually going to talk about Alexander Hamilton. Why not? Because uh, that was the first instance of it. And so I'll do that on podcast episode 82. But before I get to that, I want to talk about this situation in New Orleans and elsewhere with uh, Confederate memorials. And I'm going to do it in a little different way. I just was on the Tom Woods Show talking about that this week. And so I want to talk about this uh, in a way that relates to Memorial Day. Now, Memorial Day is coming up on Monday, and a lot of people celebrate Memorial Day. They, uh, they have uh, remembrances for Memorial Day. But a lot of people don't realize the Confederate origins of Memorial Day. So here we are coming up with a day that's seen as uh, a day to honor American soldiers. But 
what we should remember is that Memorial Day would not exist without Confederate soldiers and all of these Confederate monuments and other things that are now under attack. I just saw today in an article that there's a little museum in Georgia that's closing its doors because it's a Civil War museum, quote-unquote Civil War museum, but at the request of a county commissioner, they removed all their Confederate flags from the museum. Now, how are you going to have a quote-unquote Civil War museum without Confederate flags? This is how far the hysteria is going. You can't even have flags in a museum because they're offensive. There's also a museum in Florida that, that, that had to do the exact same thing. It was a a wax museum, and it had a display of American presidents. And in that museum, you had a, you had a wax statue of Jefferson Davis, and they had a Confederate flag on the wall. Now, this was a museum, and so the the common argument is, well, these uh, flags are offensive, so they just need to be in museums. Well, here they are in museums, and they're being asked to be removed from museums. So where is the sensitivity going to end uh, about Confederate flags? And, uh, you know, this, this is just ridiculous. And people don't even realize how important that episode was to the very fabric of modern America. So uh, Memorial Day actually started uh, in 1866. And it started in Columbus, Georgia, when a woman named, named Lizzie Rutherford Ellis had a day to honor the Confederate dead at Linwood Cemetery in Columbus. Now, Linwood Cemetery is a very old, in a very old part of the city. It's actually near a couple of hospitals, uh, and it was the original cemetery in the city. There's a now a, another a large cemetery um, a little bit out from there, but it was the original cemetery, and it's got all kinds of famous people buried there, including... Lizzie Rutherford Ellis, but also John Stythe Pemberton, who invented Coca-Cola, uh, Henry uh, Louis Benning, who was uh, the man who Fort Benning, Georgia, is named after. And it also has a section of the cemetery for Confederate dead. Now, a lot of the uh, men who were buried there uh, were killed in the Battle of Columbus, which took place in April of 1865. And <clears throat> so on 1866... A year after the war ended, April of 1866, Lizzie Rutherford Ellis has a, a ceremony to honor the Confederate dead there, a memorial of the Confederate dead. And this begins to happen all over the South for years. In fact, uh, you could actually make a case that there were Memorial Day observations during the war around the South, not just to honor Confederate dead, but also to honor the Union dead. In fact, that was done first by Southerners. They didn't just honor Confederate dead. They honored Union dead who had died in the war. And so this begins to happen all over the South. And then, lo and behold, the Grand Army of the Republic in 1868 decides to have their own quote-unquote Memorial Day because they pick up on what's happened in the South. And so now if you read a history of Memorial Day, you'll find that it says, well, the first Memorial Day was held in 1868 when the Grand Army of the Republic decided to have one. This is is hogwash. It's preposterous. Southerners were having Memorial Days at least two years before that, and they were happening all over the South. And then the Grand Army of the Republic just decided, hey, this sounds like a good idea. Let's have a Memorial Day. Now, also what's interesting about this, and a lot of people don't realize this, but while these things were happening, while there was an effort underway to decorate the graves 
of dead men who had served in the war, Union men. There were women, of course, in places like Virginia and uh, around Washington, D.C., who wanted to also decorate the graves of Confederate dead, and they were denied. In fact, at one point, uh, the poet Henry Timrod wrote about this. He, he, he penned a poem about it, how these Confederate, or, you know, Confederate widows or women uh, who were family members of Confederate dead. And we have to remember that 75% of the white male population in the South served in the war. 75%. Three out of four men. So only a quarter of the white male population did not serve in that war. And when you think about that, 250,000 dead men out of a population uh, of about... um, well, it depends on what statistics you use, but maybe about 7 million people, 250,000 dead. Uh, that is a huge percentage of the population. And when 75% of your white population, the men, fight in the war, this is going to have a tremendous impact on the psyche of the people there. The physical and social destruction of the war was tremendous. And even that, 250,000 men were killed, but you had maybe 100,000 or more. And the estimates now are actually going up in this regard because a lot of uh, southern states did not keep records. They burned them. I know in the state of Alabama, they burned the records because they were afraid of retribution after the war. So a lot of these people that were wounded, they weren't just wounded with uh, you know a scratch. They had lost arms and legs. Uh, this was a terrible physical uh, calamity for the South. Uh, the the economic destruction in the South was tremendous. There's actually an article that's going to run tomorrow on the Abbeville Institute website that talks about how wealthy the South actually was before the war. And then I have uh, a couple of friends who have written a book uh, through Shotwell Press entitled Punished with Poverty and how the South was actually punished with this with this terrible poverty after the war, how, how it had nothing left. And, of course, that itself, the poverty that the South went through after the war. I mean, this is for, for years, for years after the war. It didn't matter if you were in the North or the South. People talked about Reconstruction as being a calamity, uh, that uh, the, the physical and social destruction was terrible in the South. And Northerners felt bad for the South, too. It wasn't just Southerners that talked about this. It was Northerners. And as we had Memorial Day, it was a time of reconciliation. So I was getting into a story about how these women were actually denied to put wreaths on Confederate graves. So right after the war, we often think, well, this is a time of joining hands. No, it wasn't. There was actually a 10-year period, about a decade, where you saw some of the same stuff that's happening today happening around the South and around the United States Uh, There was a tremendous backlash against Confederate soldiers, Confederate widows, Southerners, uh, and they were suffering through an awful time akin to what's going on today, where uh, there was an effort to uh, deny that they actually had uh, any type of valor, to deny that these people were anything but traitors. And this is why you had songs like I'm a Good Old Rebel published, because there was a lot of bitterness in the South. Uh, there was a very uh, interesting book written in this time period by, by a guy named Cussens who uh, said, that, you know, what we're going to get, and other Southerners were saying this too, but what we're going to get if we don't write our own history is a history that the Yankee writes, and we're going to be called traitors. And we weren't traitors. And so what you had was this pushback 
by Southerners. That's essentially what these Confederate monuments were. You can say that they were some, the interpretation now is that they were part of some type of lost cause, quote-unquote, uh, mythology, or that they were uh, put up in honor of white supremacy. Nothing could be further from the truth. What these things were being put up for was because these men and women, they were put up mostly by the Confederate widows and daughters and, uh, you know, aunts, sisters. That's why these memorials were put up. And they were put up at a time when there was, again, a pushback. Because what they were saying is, you know what? We had the first Memorial Day. We had men who died honorably on the battlefield fighting for what they believed in. And I'm going to talk about that in a second and what these memorials actually say. If you want to know why these monuments were put up, just read the inscriptions. But, of course, we're not going to do that because that would involve actually learning some history. And not just that. It would involve having some type of sympathy for the people that died and the sympathy for the people that suffered in the South, suffered deprivations that even the Americans in the American War for Independence did not suffer through. Uh, the, the Southern civilian population suffered tremendously during this war. And uh, it was often said that the women, the women in the South, were more ardent Confederate patriots than any of the men. They would actually chastise men for not going out and fighting. You know, who are you? I'm, I'm, I can't go out and fight, but I will. And that's interesting because um, when you look at um, propaganda used in wars, uh, if you look at World War I propaganda, for example, uh, you often have posters that were made with women on them saying, you know, if I was a man, I'd join the Army. Be a man and do it. Or I'd join the Navy. Be a man and do it. Uh, these little women are going to go out and join the military, but you men are going to be cowards and sit around and not do it. So... That type of imagery was actually used, not in propaganda, but in real life. There was pressure put on these Confederate soldiers, or Southern men, I should say, to go out and be Confederate soldiers because these women would say, look, I'm not going to have anything to do with you unless you go out and fight in the army. So uh, these women were much more ardent patriots than the men. They would refuse to, to uh, associate with Union soldiers. Uh, they would, they would uh, openly flaunt their support for the Confederacy because they didn't think they would have any retribution. Who's going to hit a woman? Who's going to abuse a woman? Well, they found out that uh, they, would, they would suffer retribution, uh, that women became targets in the South during the period of occupation during the war. And so you had this war on Southern civilians, which... Uh, is just a, a horrible situation uh, because then when you got a more of a, of a hard hand of war during the war, it didn't start out that way, but it became that way in the years, uh, subsequent years during the Union occupation, really beginning in about 1862 in many areas, uh, in the Western theater in particular, but uh, by 1863, definitely. Uh, so we had this situation where you had all these people in the South who had died, 250,000 dead, over 100,000 wounded, uh, an economic destruction that uh, had never been seen before in the United States. And, of course, the South is back in the Union. And you had a 10-year period of Reconstruction, a little longer, uh, where you had uh, the ability for Southerners to even mourn their dead, to even recognize the valor and the patriotism of these people that was denied. And so after the war is over, uh, after Reconstruction is over, you had these memorials start going up and people starting to celebrate and honor the men that had served. You have to understand, I mean, these, there's a large number of people that were affected by this, emotionally affected by this war. And so these monuments start going up, 
uh, later. Now, it's often said, well, these monuments went up after Reconstruction was over because now there was no Union government down there to tell them they couldn't do it. It should have been there to tell them that, uh, you know, they couldn't have these things. And this is all about white supremacy, showing that they were back and they were dominant. No, it took them those many years, in some cases, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, or 40 years to put these monuments up because they were collecting literally pennies from Southerners to put these monuments up. They were done with private donations from people that had no money to honor the people that had died in the war. And when you read the inscriptions, it becomes very clear that these were soldiers' monuments, that they were there put up to honor in a Memorial Day sympathy to honor the Confederate soldiers who had died in the war. So here we are coming up on Memorial Day, a day that was actually created by former Confederate women and Confederate soldiers to honor the men who had died, not just in the South, uh, but also Union soldiers. You had oftentimes uh, a joining of the hands at these monuments. Union soldiers, Confederate soldiers, veterans who had gone out and joined hands across these monuments. And if anyone was to be offended by these monuments, it would have been the Union soldiers. I mean, these men were trying to shoot and kill them. Yet here they are. And you find, you see pictures of this all over the place. Union soldiers joining hands at these monuments with Confederate soldiers. Uh, the most famous one being at Arlington, the Arlington National Cemetery, which of course was Robert E. Lee's house. That cemetery was created as an affront to the Lee family. They could never go back home because uh, Montgomery Meigs decided to bury Union soldiers right in their backyard as a sign of scorn. Uh, and so the Lee family couldn't go back to their ancestral home. And so you had Arlington Cemetery. But, of course, there were Confederate men buried in that cemetery, too. And so finally they built a monument. And you had presidents, U.S. presidents, going out and honoring these men, honoring these men. And if anyone was to be bitter, it was uh, Union soldiers, but they weren't. They recognized the valor of the Confederate soldiers. They thought, well, maybe they're, they're wrong. The cause of secession was wrong. Even Southerners said, well, look, we were defeated. We were defeated honorably. We accept defeat. We just want to be recognized that we were valiant, that we had honor on the battlefield, that we fought for a cause in which we believed. Now, what was that cause? What was that cause that these men were fighting for? Well, all you got to do is read the inscriptions. Now, of course, the charges couldn't come back. Well, yeah, but these inscriptions were made after the war was over, and they were trying, they were just lying. They were lying on these monuments. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I often point to a picture of, uh, there's a terrible picture of a Confederate soldier who had his guts blown out, his hand is blown off, he's bloated, he's you know, dead on the battlefield. How could we even think that that man would suffer that type of deprivation to simply own slaves? His entire stomach was blown out by a cannonball. Uh, and when you look at the letters that these men were writing, and even mainstream historians like James McPherson, James McPherson is no Southern sympathizer, or Gary Gallagher, who is no Southern sympathizer, 
Gary Gallagher wrote a really wonderful book called The Confederate War. He also wrote one called The Union War. And what he did in these two books is look at the home fronts of each area during the war. And he actually said at the beginning of the, of the Confederate War, he was called a neo-Confederate because in this particular book, he says, look, what I found was that these people were fighting primarily for nationalism, for independence. It wasn't a, you know, a, a war for slavery, not for most Confederate soldiers. In fact, McPherson wrote that these men were, defighting, were fighting against slavery, their own enslavement by the Union government. So you read for cause and comrades, which is what McPherson wrote, and he said, "Yeah, you can find Southerners who were saying we have to we're fighting uh, to defend our peculiar institution. You could find that certainly. You could find Northerners that were saying, "Oh yeah, we're fighting against slavery. You could find it. Not much in the early in the war. In fact, most of the letters from Union soldiers themselves said we're fighting for the Union. We're fighting to preserve the Union. We're fighting for the Constitution. And Southerners were saying, we're fighting for the Constitution. We're fighting for the principles of independence. We're fighting for American principles. This is what most people were fighting for, particularly for the first two to three years of the war. Now, after the Emancipation Proclamation is issued and ending slavery becomes essentially a war aim, at least that's what I thought. Now, the Emancipation Proclamation was a wartime measure uh, to keep the British out of the war and maybe to even incite slave insurrections in the South. That's the forgotten part of it, which didn't happen. Uh, but uh, maybe at that point you could see there was a turning point where ending slavery became a war aim, but not until earliest, 1863. For two, or, for two years, the war was about the Union and about independence. And Southerners, even after 1863, did not say they were fighting to keep slavery. In fact, this is when they started turning. You know, Jefferson Davis had actually said, look, I'll, I'll give up slavery. We can just have our independence. There was a very famous Kenner mission where uh, a Confederate diplomat named Kenner was told to go to the British and go to the French and tell them we will end slavery if you will just support us. So when you look at these monuments and you read the inscriptions and you read what they said, it's not about slavery. And I'm going to read a couple of them for you. Uh, I'm going to read what these monuments said. Uh, there's a monument uh, in, uh, I can't remember which, uh, which state it is in. Um, oh, it's, it's in uh, Georgia. And it says, quote, These men died in defense of the principles of the Declaration of Independence. End quote. In Louisiana, Madison Parish, In memory of our Confederate soldiers, of Madison Parish, Louisiana, who enlisted and served during the war between the states. So it's a soldier's monument. Uh, we have uh, a monument in, uh, let's see, uh, I believe this one's in, uh, I want to say it's in Georgia as well. Uh, yeah, it's in, it's in Marietta, Georgia. Uh, to commemorate with grateful love the patriotism, valor, and devotion to duty of the brave soldiers of, uh, of this county. This monument is erected through the efforts of the uh, uh, chapter of the United Daughters of the Confederacy. So honor to honor the soldiers. Uh, a, a, a monument in South Carolina. No country ever had truer sons, no people bolder defenders, no principal purer victims. Uh, in North Carolina. We fought an honest fight. We kept the Southerns' faith. We fell at the post of duty. We died for the land we loved. 
uh, in a monument of, let's see, uh, this one is in Georgia as well. Future time, read this inscription and recognize that there were men whom power could not corrupt, death could not terrify, defeat could not dishonor. Let these virtues plead for just judgment in the cause for which they perished. Let Georgia remember that the state taught them how to live and how to die, and that from her broken fortunes she has preserved for her children the priceless treasure of her memories, teaching all who may claim the same birthright that truth, virtue, and patriotism endure forever. Boy, that sounds just like a terrible situation, doesn't it? Uh, a, a monument uh, in, again, Louisiana. Camp Beauregard Memorial, in memory of the loyal men who died here September 1861 to March 1862 for the Confederate States of America and were thus denied the glory of heroic service in battle. Boy, that's just scandalous, isn't it? Uh, I mean, th th this you find this. Uh, here's one in, um, in Texas. Died for states' rights guaranteed under the Constitution. Uh, here's one, another one in Georgia. While this monument is erected in memory of Confederate soldiers and the sacred cause for which they contended, it is also intended to commemorate the noble women whose peerless patriotism and sublime lives of heroic and self-sacrifice service enhanced the holiness of that cause and prolonged the struggle for its supremacy by inspiring the champions with increased ardor, enthusiasm, and gallantry in their contest. Uh, now, any other time, a monument to women would be seen by the PC Crusaders as a great thing. We have a monument to women. Oh, but not in this case, uh, because it's to Southern women. And some of these monuments you know, have, have images of women uh, uh, tending to soldiers who were you know, wounded uh, or uh, dying on the battlefield. Uh, here's another one. In honor of the Confederate soldiers of Sampson County, North Carolina. I mean, so you have these monuments all over the South, and when you read them, when you read them, uh, you find that this is what almost all of them say. In fact, I say almost all of them do say this in one way or another. So when you hear this narrative that's being championed around, oh, this is all about white supremacy, where did those monuments say in any way this is about white supremacy? They don't. Not one time. It's about honoring dead men who served in battle, who Union soldiers recognized as honorable men in a struggle for which they believed, but they lost. And so when we get to Memorial Day on Monday and we start having you know, honors, uh, you know, services in honor of former American soldiers who have died in combat, remember that that started because of American soldiers who died in combat, but they were Southern soldiers who died in combat during the uh, during the quote-unquote civil war, the war between the states, the war for southern independence, which is actually the most accurate description, the war for southern independence. Just like uh, in 1776, we had the American War for Independence. That's what it was. It wasn't the American Revolution. It was the American War for Independence. And so regardless of what you think about the war and the causes of the war and uh, you know that type of thing, I mean, we, we can talk about that. But one thing that I think that is clear is that these monuments were being erected not to belittle any population of the South, because you actually had uh, African Americans who attended many of these ceremonies as well. 
It was not to belittle a certain population of the South, to make them feel small, to make them realize they had no political power. It was to honor with pennies over years. It was to honor men who had died in combat, to commemorate these men, just as we do on Memorial Day in May every single year. And it was customary for presidents to lay a wreath at the Confederate Memorial Arlington Cemetery, just as they would at the other monuments around Arlington Arlington Cemetery to honor the uh, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. It was just as honorable to put a wreath at the Confederate monument there in Arlington. And even as, of course, Tom Woods brought up on the podcast we did on this this topic, general topic, on uh, Tuesday, even uh, Jimmy Carter, John F. Kennedy, Gerald Ford, I mean, take your pick uh, of you know 20th century progressives. They all recognized the gallantry of the Confederate soldier, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. Now, of course, his mother was a Georgian, but Teddy Roosevelt talked about how brave Dwight Eisenhower. <laughs> I mean, take go back about 40 years, and you'll find that it was just common. It didn't matter where you were in the United States. The opinions now that are seen as scandalous and uh, you know can get you uh, in so much trouble with the PC crowd were held by progressives. So look how far we've come. You can't even have a flag in a museum anymore. I think that one thing people need to realize is this has. I mean, we have to draw a line somewhere, right? And as I've said before, you know, Confederate symbols are low-hanging fruit. They're going to all come down. I, I I do believe that eventually. Now, maybe not in Alabama because there's a bill that would protect them. Even in Louisiana, now, it can't be an ex post facto law, but even in Louisiana, uh, you have a situation where uh, there's an effort now to defend the the rest of the monuments in the state from being attacked. Uh, So uh, this is is something that we're going to see a lot of, but we need to think about this on Memorial Day that started in, in Columbus, Georgia, and then spread throughout the South, and then was adopted by Union soldiers. And it was a, a moment of reconciliation. These monuments were testaments to reconciliation, to honoring dead soldiers and the women who supported them, and nothing else. Nothing else. Now, of course, when they say you know, the principles of 1776 or the, or the principles of uh, the Constitution, I mean, this is exactly what these guys were saying in their letters during the war. This was not some lost cause myth. They were saying the exact same thing. In fact, there was one proposal at one point to have the Southern Confederacy called the Republic of Washington. And, of course, in 1865, the Confederate seal had George Washington on it. So they were saying those things, <laughs> uh, even at, during the war. Not That was not created after the war was over. Anyways, I think it's important to remember that as you go out and you have your day off on Monday And uh, whether you celebrate Memorial Day or not, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, But if you do, remember that um, the remember the Confederate origins or the Southern origins of Memorial Day. I'll see you next time on the Brian McClain Show.